Welcome to Bootstrappers, a program designed to bring you up-to-the-minute ideas and concepts to understand what it takes to succeed in business and life. Each week, we'll bring you guests and ideas you can't find anywhere else. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. Now strap on those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode, this edition of Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Jeremy Aspen. I'm the president of Wistar Group Property Management in Omaha. And I'm here with my spouse, Gwen Aspen, president of Anaquim. Here at Bootstrappers, we talk to successful entrepreneurs, thinkers, community leaders about what they have learned through the trials and tribulations of leadership and starting a company and are leading uh, an organization and help apply it to your industry and your life. The concepts and tips that we are that are uh, shared on Bootstrappers apply to anyone starting a business, working at a business, or any aspiring entrepreneurs out there, and even just people looking to take control of their lives. It's self-help wrapped up in business. So let's get hungry, break some things, <laughs> and strap on those business boots. <laughs> Woo! Let's do it. Right? Let's yeah. do this thing. <laughs> so today uh, we're here with. Kurt Drew. He's our guest today. And Kurt is, I think, what you'd call maybe a serial entrepreneur. And his focus and his expertise is franchises. So he's currently a franchisee of Fish Window Cleaning and a franchise or of National Radon Defense. So he has experience on both sides of, of franchising. He's known in business circles uh, for helping entrepreneurs that might be looking uh, at getting into franchising. He knows his stuff. <laughs> Kurt is also the president of the Omaha chapter. Is it ne- Omaha or is it Nebraska chapter? Yeah, EO Nebraska. The Ooh, Nebraska, Nebraska chapter uh, yeah. for entrepreneurs organization and a great resource for all things business. Uh, when he isn't talking business, he plays the guitar and hangs out with his family, married, three kids. Hey, thanks for joining us, Kurt. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to see you guys. Yeah, can I call you, here. Can I call you Kurt? Or do I have to you call, call you me Mr. Kurt. Drew? Yeah, you can call All me. All right, that's cool. All right. <laughs> you um, worse. Yeah, yeah, by me, as a matter of fact. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Uh, so anyway, what we kind of like to do when we're starting off these interviews um, is just kind of ask a little bit about yourself and, and really the journey that you've taken to get to where you are. Okay. If we could talk you into that. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell us about your first job and then how you got into entrepreneurship. Well, so out of college, you know, I was raised uh, by a family that there's no entrepreneurs in my family at all. Like everybody's got a right? job, right? You know, I was raised to go to college, get a good job. You know, that was the strategy. And I did that, but I got into sales, uh, medical sales out of college. I moved around a little bit, Chicago, Minneapolis, and then that brought me to Omaha and did like, uh, you know, I sold robotic technology. I sold in the operating room, surgical oh, instruments, cool. things like that. Yeah. So it was a great experience. And But I was also in that corporate, uh, you know, I was a guy in the suit on the airplane Monday mornings, coming back Friday. I was, you know, yeah, got the sales quota, got the manager conference calls Sunday night, you know, it was, it was, uh, I love the jobs and, and what I did, but it's also like, it just seemed like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. 
know? What was it about corporate America? Because Jeremy and I have similar stories that yeah, just, yeah. What, for you, what was the point that it was like, this is kind of soul destroying? <laughs> well, I, except, so is it soul destroying? It's not Maybe it's not everybody. Not everybody. It's not for you. For you, it sucked up and ate your soul. But for other people, it's perfect. It's great. It is. It is. But I, I know other, just, I'm just curious. What was it for you that was like, I just can't? You know, it's the thought of like getting let go sometime. Like, you know, that thought of like, man, I did all this work and I could just be fired tomorrow, you know, and, mm-hmm. or I'm too old for this. And they bring a younger guy, pay less commissions too. And I saw that actually happen a few times, you know, with a, where a corporation will just turn over their sales team and go mm-hmm. with like people 15 years younger, pay them half the price, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so you're just a number, you know, at the end of the day, and you're not really in charge of your own destiny. Like you can be when you own your own business. So, so you like having agency over your life. Like that's a primary focus. Yeah. For you. Yeah, yeah. Just controlling the destiny. Yeah. You know, I, I was, you know, again, not, not coming from a background of, of entrepreneurs, my family, this is, you know, when I was 35. I quit my job, a high paying medical job, like pretty good yeah. money. Right. You know, and for sure. Um, and, and bought a window cleaning franchise and everybody's like, you are nuts. What are you doing? Yeah. Nobody thought it was a good idea. So, <laughs> <My> so wife. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> interesting little point real quick. Uh, we're yeah. in Traverse city, which explains to our guests that are viewing us on, on podcast. We're in, yeah, by Traverse City, Michigan. And yeah. you know how when you meet some, or when you get a new car, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're driving around your new car, and hell, everybody's got the same thing, or you've never seen so many of them. Yeah. So you and I met, I'm up here, and uh, you had mentioned that there's uh, a fish uh, window cleaning up here. Sure yeah. enough, yesterday, <laughs> driving up from Traverse City, and there's fish window cleaning. So you're yeah. all over, even in these small towns up here. That's Sorry, Gwen, I didn't mean to interrupt, but... No, no, that's awesome. I love that. Well, my yeah. question, though, for you, Kurt, is, yeah. well, how old were you and what stage of your life were you 35. in? Were you... Oh, you said 35. Did you already I was listening. Yeah, I was 35. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> I was Did you have married. kids? Oh. Yeah, I had... We had two at the time. It's funny because uh, little kids then. And um, I was driving to um, franchise training. You know, when you buy a franchise, you go to the corporate headquarters, you get trained for a couple of weeks. And that's when I found out Michelle was pregnant with our third child. So, yeah, that's a really good idea. Let's quit our job, <laughs> start a new business, and then let's have a child while we're doing this. So, yeah. So, yeah, no crazy. pressure there. Nope. Yeah, no, no I'm pressure. Kind of always, I'm, I'm kind of always <laughs> amazed because that happens quite a bit. It with these, especially the, the guests that we've had on the show, uh-huh. um, babies pop up at the most inopportune times or, and it's just part of the fear factor of going uh-huh. in and it, it seems like it's like, I don't know if it's the DNA of starting a business, but it happens so often that starting a new business and uh, what is it about starting a business that gets everybody horny enough to, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, another thing about, or something? Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's it. There's a scientific connection. Anyway, sorry. But, uh, so, so your wife was on board. I mean, how did she it? Was, yeah, that's, she's a rock. You know, she's really supportive and, uh, certainly could not do any of this without her. And, you know, she, she believed in it, you know, what we're going to do. And she's like, you know, Kurt, you're, you've been done well in your career. Why not just, you know, do your own thing. I'm sure you'll be fine at that and you'll do well. And, and, you know, but of course everybody else like, you're crazy. Why are you doing quit your job? Even my parents, you know, everybody was like, that's nuts. Uh, but no, it all worked out. You know, we, um, we followed the, you know, with a franchise, you know, I, again, I had no, uh, 
experience running a business before. I just had a lot of sales experience. And the nice thing with the franchise, it's basically a roadmap. It's a business in a box and you know, you follow the systems that are there for you and you can have success. Um, so yeah, it, it ended up working out pretty well. I just want to go back. Sorry. I just want to go back to one thing that you said, like even your parents were kind of nervous about you making that transition. And I feel like that's so common for any of you all starting a new business right now. I feel like your family, well, families in general love their people, but they often want what's safest for the people they love, not necessarily what's best. And so we love our families and we love the people surrounding us, but sometimes you really have to be strong enough to just be like, I know you want the safest thing for me, but I just, it's not the best for me, even though it seems like a good idea to you. Well, and there's it's a, a hard great, thing to do though. There's a great question that I, when I listen to Sam Harris, he asks a version of this question. So Kurt, it might be Who's hard Sam to Harris? Sam Harris is a uh, podcaster and uh, he's one of the four. Sam Harris, not the singer when you do a search. Um, but he asked this question to all of his guests um, and it's an intellectual podcast, but in your life, is there any one thing you would never wish on a loved one, but that you wouldn't take back because it helped shape who you are? I love that question. Because, mm. you know, okay. there's things. <laughs> I think I got an answer. Um, how about going two years without an income when you've got three little kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So all that savings I had, you know, the secure strategy I was going for with corporate America, all that gone. Bye bye savings, stocks, everything I you know had, you know, hello debt, hello credit card right. debt, hello, you know, getting through that ramp up of starting a new business was brutal, you know, and you just had to keep looking down. Okay, six months from now, it's gonna be better. And after that, will be another six months, we'll be making money. And then, you know, just kind of plowing ahead. And but but financially going through a kind of a, probably a train wreck, I wouldn't wish on too many people because that's a hard because it's not just that your your money's going down, that you the, all the stressors that come with it. And then you think about the things that start happening to your children, they, they start Yeah, you know, what if they the got doctor. sick? Yeah. What if I you mean, get in a car accident? Like, oh, what that's if the, a great what if the, one. Yeah, yeah, what if the uh, heating and air conditioning breaks? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's so stressful. Jeremy and I went through that. I worked as a yeah. pharma rep to yeah. shore us up during the first 18 months that he didn't make any money. Mm. Um, but then there wasn't a lot of money coming in, and then I quit my job. Oh, and it, was, it, was, it was pretty scary. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I will we, say, I will say, though, I was under way more stress at my sales job in corporate America than I was Is that running right? my own company because I, I feel like, you know, I still have the same stresses that I want to do well. And, you know, you want to have good financial success and, you know, take care of your family, those types of things. But what I, what I gave up was that external stress of having a manager, you know, calling me out on, on, Hey, how that sales appointment go? And Hey, where's your reports? And you know, that whole, all that, uh, you know, we were a publicly traded company. So we had, we had Corley's that we needed to return. Yes. Oh, that was to their share. You know, this is, this is Jeremy Aspen. I'm with Gwen Aspen. We're hosting bootstrappers and our guest today is Kurt Drew. He is a, an expert 
in franchisees, which is kind of what I want to go into now, because yeah. as you alluded to, some of our, actually, I think all of our guests to date have um, uh, not gone the franchise route. And that's what I thought was so okay. interesting about bringing you on board, because mm -hmm. um, it is something, it's an option for a lot of people. I do a little research on it and it looks like you don't even necessarily have to experience. I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail into the kind of what you had mentioned earlier. That's because they train for it, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. But well, I mean, why did, so why did you pick the, um, the franchise route as opposed to another route? And what can you tell us about it being that you're on both sides? You started off with fish, which mm -hmm. made you a franchise E right. And later, apparently you loved the idea enough that you went on and started your own franchise you to, to become a franchise or so right. what's that look like yeah so to start with the franchisee why go that route is just you know the percentages of success with a franchise versus like starting a business from scratch or your own idea and your own like kind of figure it out you know that it's well documented the success rate of franchisees is way higher than just startups you know yeah. it's like it's significantly different. Um, so I like that. And, and I, you know, um, the, the other thing that's nice about being a franchisee or looking at franchises, you can call around to these other franchisees around the country. You know, they're all listed, you know, listing of all their franchisees for these different franchise concepts and just ask the franchisee, how's it going? Are you making money? You know, like, uh, is the franchise or, um, supportive? You know, are their systems good? You know, all that kind of thing. And, and these franchisees don't have a vested interest in selling you anything. You know, they're just running their own company. So that's what I did when I was looking at franchises to buy. I called around, I looked at a lot of different concepts and I was just called these window cleaning franchisees because actually I, I, it was one of those franchises I, I saw and I skipped and I moved on to sexier ones. And then I came back to it one day because uh, I actually saw one of the trucks going down the road in Minneapolis and uh, so I called the franchisee and he's just like, that's a great business. And I just kept calling around and checking with franchisees and everybody's like, yeah, great business. This is Bootstrappers and I'm Jeremy. This is uh, Gwen here, my co-host and wife. We both share the last name Aspen and uh, we run a little family and a radio <laughs> show about business. <laughs> And we're here with Kurt Drew, who is uh, the franchisee of Fish Window Cleaning and the franchisor of Radon Defense. Sorry, National Radon Defense. Am I getting yes. it right? Oh, you got it. Oh, you good. Got it. Okay, good. <laughs> the best so, one. <laughs> so we're just picking up with, uh, with Kurt about his when he was choosing his very first franchise as a franchisee. Mm -hmm. How we? Ch I, I'm just so curious how you, what what you saw when you were looking at all the options, and what were some of the red flags for you? What looked good for you? Just helping other people understand what that process is like. So I got connected to a franchise broker, and ah. I don't know if you know about these, but there's there's franchise no. brokers. Yeah, so there, there are companies out there that represent the brands, that represent a bunch of franchises. Okay. And so I was a lead uh, into their system because I remember I was actually in a hotel room in St. Paul and I was searching for businesses for sale in Omaha, Nebraska, because I was like motivated. I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Are you wow, we did too. Uh, got me thinking, book. like I went yeah. on my business. And so I, I went into a website and I entered my information. I became a lead for some a franchise broker, which actually was great because, uh, you know, they, they were able to do a... Um, 
you know, like an application with me, like how much money do you have? What kind of business are you looking to do? You know, uh, all the, all the aspects of, um, you know, kind of priming me to fit with what franchises, you know, so, um, because of how much money I had, well, that would eliminate a lot of these franchises. And, you know, so, um, anyway, uh, long story short, uh, they, they, I looked at a lot of different franchises through them and, uh, and then what they do is they, uh, connect you with a rep from each of the franchisees or from the franchisors and uh and you can research and kind of do some digging and kind of just go franchise to franchise and see which one fits right. so, so i have a no, question about sorry. yeah go ahead i have a question about that process so yeah. culture of course is a huge deal on whether you're going to succeed or fail with a franchise so mm-hmm. were there questions more nuts and bolts or were they asking any personality questions culture questions were they asking those as well yeah they're like would you have a problem owning a company that has um, that is outhouses. You know, mm. would you be proud Port-a-potties. of porta potty business? Would you, <laughs> or, or like, would you, eth- would you be ethically challenged to have a, a check cashing uh, business? Mm. You know, things like that. And so that kind of narrowed it down for us. And then, like, would you want a restaurant? Do you want retail? Mm. You know, would you want more of a service business? And I was uh, really like the service industry, you know, like I feel like there's opportunities in the service industry, you know, just in the residential trades, commercial trades businesses, you know, mm-hmm. you know how it is. There's just a lot of mom and pops and that struggle with just answering the phone, you know, and show oh, up on sure. time and That's I mean, right, yeah. go on and on. Right. We all have stories of contractors. I'm waiting for somebody to do my, my steps right now. And you guys won't show up, you know? So yes. have, there's opportunities out there in residential trades. And I discovered that and, and then, you know, uh, window cleaning happened to be that avenue and then eventually radon. So, yeah. So knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. you know, having been franchisee, franchisor, what is it, like, what, what are the, like, what would you suggest to somebody just real quick to, avoid, how do you know you're working with the right franchise or, or not? Yeah, it, there must be some things out it, there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's all about that due diligence of calling all the franchisees you can okay. and just get them on the phone. And, you know, the franchisor is going to have a salesperson that's going to be giving you names of franchisees to call. Well, that's their list. Okay. Wow. They're not going to give you bad ones. But, the, but part of the process with franchises, they, they have what they call an FDD. It's a franchise disclosure document. It's a packet this thick and that's what you get when you're looking at franchises and in that is a listing of every franchise so what i did is i went to the back of that looked at all and just started calling different ones that they didn't give me and that was really helpful and of course you find some that weren't real happy with the business but uh and you find you know you kind of you know have to take it all with a grain of salt do your own research when you were looking at franchises other than fish, so, mm-hmm. cause you said you kind of passed over it and then looked at other yeah. ones and then came back to it. Yeah. What were some of the things that people said that made you pass over other franchises? Um, yeah, just, you know, you know, trying to get to them to talk about financials was really important, you know, cause are they making any money at this? You know, right. yeah. so the thing you got, if, if, psychology at play here, right? If somebody just invested a bunch of money in a business and put down cash for a franchise and and is committed to it, they're going to want to back up that decision that they made. Oh, that's such a good point. Oh my gosh. So they're just trying to self, you know, come, 
you know, let themselves know they made the right choice because totally. so you got to dig deeper than that. And I would mm. recommend asking some tough questions about finances, try to get them to, you know, Hey, I'm trying to put together a P and L on this a projection. Like when did you first start making real money at this and how long did it take and not that dot. And, and so you can kind of find out that way. So you found when you first started calling around that people would, they would just avoid the topic or what, what really happened when you called them and they weren't doing well? Yeah. 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 You know, uh, it, 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 sometimes it's hard to tell, right. You know, how many employees do you have? You know, how much have you grown? You know, those types of questions to drill in kind of the, to see behind the, the curtains a little bit. Um, but I remember some people just being really frank, you know, like, Hey, I, you know, if you, if you had to do it again, would you choose this franchise? And I'm saying, I don't know, you know, yeah. <laughs> now yeah. what about this? So you might be able to hook up with a great, um, company, right? But it isn't necessarily true. And this is conjecture, but that, that whatever markets are available, that there will be business enough business to sustain so is that oh. part of the process do they do they have kind of a these are the markets we think are going to do well and here's the evidence to support it or is it kind of like you say hey i'm from omaha and i'd like to take it to omaha mm. yeah it, it's definitely um typically where you're at and i want to start a business here and uh, not to say you couldn't buy a franchise and go somewhere else and do it but you know most of these franchises want the owner really really involved you know um unless you're like a McDonald's or something like that. Right. You know, but, um, they want to know they like owner operators. A lot of these that, you know, the owner is there every day and running the ship. So, um, yeah, but then, but then they typically have a territory. It's a, you know, exclusive territory It's by zip code or by number of households, depending on the industry. And, and then you're looking at, uh, Oh, it's a small territory, large territory, executive type territory. So there's different, franchise fees associated with size of territory. Um, okay. How they do well, it. Yeah. I'm Jeremy Aspen. I'm with my lovely spouse, Gwen Aspen. We're hosting bootstrappers and this is a show that brings Omaha and, uh, on 1290 coil, uh, brings business, uh, leaders and thought leaders, leaders, generally speaking, to your ears. And uh, we're also in a podcast and vlogcast, whatever that's called. <laughs> um, and uh, we're with Kurt Drew. He is a franchisee of Fish Window Cleaning and a franchise or of National, oh man, National right. Radon Defense. Defense. Um, so, anyway, so um, let me, so you're getting all these ideas mm -hmm. while you're out there looking for these new businesses, right? Uh, what would stop window cleaning? Why didn't you just buy the supplies yourself? Maybe a truck, squeegees, rags, whatever the equipment is. I'm sure it's more than that. And kind of do it yourself. Like the idea could have been born during your search for a franchise, but you must have thought, well, I could do this on my own. Well, yeah, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people will tell you too, that are kind of on the outsides looking in and saying, well, why wouldn't window cleaners? That's not very complicated. And, you know, really, I think, you know, most businesses on the production side, the actual doing the work, that's the easy part, you know, like painting a house or washing a window, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The challenging part and the, and the 
part that really separates successful businesses and non-successful is the marketing. Um, oh my gosh. And marketing is so complicated now. Oh, it's oh my yeah. gosh. I mean, I have, I just got a new marketing guy and the data analytics that you are using to make sure your, your uh, marketing dollars go the farthest. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is one heck of an operation. And if you didn't go to college or can't afford some, some very sophisticated, uh, in the trenches marketing person, it could be scary being in an industry like window cleaning all mm -hmm. by yourself because yeah. how do you compete if you don't understand that digital marketing world? Right. Yeah. So that, that's a big key that, that we saw with it uh, is, you know, having the marketing systems, the plan that, you know, works, uh, take away the guesswork. Oh, give me a plan to follow. Great. Okay, I can do that. And then on the other side of the coin is just the systems for running an effective business. You know, like, so here's how we're going to pay people. You know, here's how we're going to schedule the work. You know, here, you know, all those processes of production to sales, you know, marketing to sales. Um, in a franchise, they have that all figured out and ironed out for you. So you can just hit the ground and run and grow and scale it versus, you know, I probably could have built a pretty nice window cleaning business, but it would have been probably taking me longer to get there. And having to figure out all the systems myself, and you know, like I mentioned, I I never ran a business before either, so I didn't really have that mm. uh, that skill set either. Um, but developed it, you know, learned about business systems, and you know, how do you how you scale a company? It's really by having a, you know, your operations uh, systemized. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's so, go ahead, Jim. If you, uh, if you if you so. Here I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, do I want to do a franchise? Mm -hmm. And and it's probably an understatement, but people, some people, entrepreneurs, it it seems like they would want more freedoms, right? right? Or, but but is that true? I mean, do you actually have all the freedoms of a business owner, or or are there some um, constricting factors that maybe uh, don't let you fly your entrepreneur flag all the time? You know. I think, you know, franchises are good for some entrepreneurs and not good for other types of entrepreneurs. You know, so uh, there's some, you know, those visionary entrepreneurs that have an idea and want to uh, craft their own thing. They're challenged with a franchise because, you know, with a franchise, you it's already been created. Now, we don't want you to create anything, okay? Oh. Certainly give us feedback, let us know what's working, but... Um, but if, if the value in a franchise is buying a proven business model, and if you're if you're a, uh, one of these uh, entrepreneurs that's going to come in and break it all and say no, my ideas are better, you're wasting your money, you know. So those integrator type entrepreneurs, the people that just get things done, that love systems, that love to follow through and push, and are great leaders, man, those are great fits. So for integrator for our guests that are listening, integrator is. It's one of this, the um, archetypes, I think. Well, no, no, no. This is that's traction, right? right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's uh, so your attraction. I, I think I can deduce yeah, from that that I you speak you, that follow, language. you exactly. speak traction, right? So an integrator <laughs> is a person like you said that they're kind of between the um, uh, what's the uh, the visionary, the visionary, mm -hmm. and the operation, and they kind of make it happen for the visionary, right? Yeah. So yeah. that you're saying that that's maybe the right kind of person for for franchises. And so when you're just making a decision and before we go um, 
before we change the subject totally, it's prime yeah. with. So you've been in, uh, you know, fish for a while, but but now from the vantage point of the franchise or mm-hmm. um, the wh- what are you looking for? I, I mean, I guess what we could say is an integrator kind of person. Yeah. So are you yeah. doing a CI, a um, cultural index? We, uh, which we, we could don't our- do a CI and we just, with the radon side of our business. So I have a franchise, a business model for indoor air quality services. Radon's our lead source. And, you know, we're looking for somebody that values a proven business model. You know, like, hey, I don't have to go figure this out myself. Great. Oh, you can shortcut that for me. Awesome. Oh, you have all the marketing things figured out. You've got the sales software. You've got vendors for me and all the production side done. If they value that, then they're typically somebody that's going to be a better fit than somebody that's like questioning that and saying, I can think of it. I'm, you know, I can figure this out better than you can or, um, you know, wants to recreate everything, you know, so that, that type of person would not be somebody that'd be a good fit as a franchisee. So Mm -hmm. that brings me to my question right now. A a lot of people are worried about the downside of any big investment, like investing in a franchise. And there are some horror stories on the internet about franchise arrangements gone wrong. One of which I saw was the the, uh, Burger King was forcing their franchisees to sell hamburgers as a loss leader or cheeseburgers specifically at $1 and really um, tightening the financial strings of the franchisees. And they were really upset and ended up suing Burger King. There's another one with edible arrangements where they forced them to be open on Sundays and they were making like no money, like $23 on a Sunday, whereas they were making thousands of dollars during the week. So what, what kind of horror stories and what, how do you, how do, have you heard of or would make you avoid a, a franchise arrangement? And what is the way that people resolve conflicts in such an arrangement? Yeah, it's, it's really trying to get to the ethics of the franchisor, isn't it? Like the, the people that are running the show, are these, are these, mm-hmm. are we a mesh with their core values? You know, what, what are they trying to do uh, with growing their network? Are they trying to sell it to venture capital at some point? You know, are they, mm. you know, ah, that's that, an interesting point. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these are, you know, eventually they're just trying to get to a certain mass that they look appealing to venture capital and then, you know, can move on. So looking at that track record is, is really key, you know, um, you guys remember Quiznos subs? Sure. Yes. Where are they? Why are they? Where are they? Oh no! Where are what they? What I haven't they, seen they, a got Quiz- a, they had new ownership come in, and they changed uh, the way they were dealing with franchisees, and and uh, they were putting. Um, if you had a Quiznos, they would put one right down the street from you, and then put one across the street. You know, they just mm. they sold too many, and then so none of them really were able to prosper. At least that's what happened in the Omaha market. Um, you know, that mm. might have changed since then, but that are they around here? Uh, they're still a franchise and I, I, you know, I think they've, they've shrunk in numbers quite a bit, but at one point they were huge. Yeah. I, I kind of yeah. remember them from and back they, in they the were day. sold to a, a venture capitalist outfit. I don't know if it was venture capital or just sold to another outfit. Okay. Yeah, new ownership, so, new management. On that core, I've been really focused on culture lately. It's been something mm-hmm. I've been really thinking about. And, you know, any company can slap six words on their website and say, this is our culture. These are our values. So as you were evaluating companies, how did you really dig down into the true culture? And I just want to give an example because I found this fascinating. I'm reading a yeah. new book 
Um, and it was giving, um, it was using Uber as an example of a company that had a cultural crisis. And it was saying that um, Uber, they had just this thing in their corporate culture where you'd be in a boardroom with people and they would be texting about you behind your back while you're speaking. Mm. And when the consultants came in and they were identifying cultural issues there, that was like the first thing that they said cannot stand. Nobody in this meeting can say nasty things via text message while someone else is talking in a board meeting. And it just led me to think, how do you really identify culture until you're really in it? So mm. how did you do that with your franchise search? Yeah, you know, they have this thing called a discovery day in the franchise world. That's when you go to the franchise location, you break bread with them, the mm. dog and pony show, they're trying to close you, you know, and sell a franchise. And and uh, I remember ours, my wife and I went to St. Louis, that's where the fish window cleaning is based. And, you know, got a chance to sit down with the owner and his wife who run the, they're still involved today. They're in their upper seventies, but they're still involved today. Uh, just genuine, good people. Like uh, really, you know, we just kind of, felt comfortable with them and their managers too. So uh, that's what kind of did it for us, you know, just, I guess, meeting in person and, and getting to know them on a personal basis. So you kind of got in, you got into the franchise before you made that move and really dug down, met the people who started it and got like that personal vibe from them before you signed on the dotted line and committed. Yes. Well, it probably and goes both ways, right? Because so you're the franchisor and you're trying to sell a potential franchisee, mm -hmm. but as a franchisor, correct me if I'm wrong, but it stands to reason seemingly that you're as interested in making sure that you're, you've got somebody that matches your ethics, your values, because if you don't, you're oh, still yeah. going to have those conflicts. And maybe you're the one as the franchise or to pick up on, whoa, this isn't the right um, move. Has that happened yeah. to you? Absolutely. Uh, we actually have a, <laughs> we have some, uh, you know, checks, check these boxes type of thing when we're interviewing franchisors at National Radon Defense to join our dealership network. And uh, one of them is uh, these immutable laws, right? You can't, this, if they're this, they're not in. And uh, no a-holes allowed. I mean, if we don't like them, if they're not, if we don't get along with them, if we feel there's a tension there, like we're going to be working with this person and their company for a long time. And if, if they're just kind of not cool, you know, like you're sensing this guy's kind of a jerk, we're just going to turn and, and move on because life's too short. And Kurt, what are some of the other immutable laws? I love this idea. <laughs> well, there's, um, we have a whole chart of them, but there's really, you know, those main ones is there's three, right? So there's no a-holes and then. Oh, that, you have that written down? No a-holes? Yeah. Oh yeah. It says no a-holes. Well, for our <laughs> listeners that don't know what an a-hole is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no a-holes. <laughs> Everybody's got one, but uh, you, know, you know what I mean. It can't be one. <laughs> it can't be one. There it is. Yes. All right. What are the other ones? Uh, follow this. They follow the system. Like they, they actually want to follow a system. It's, it's really key. And the third thing is uh, communication. So, you know, the people that never return an email or mm -hmm. you call them and their voicemails full and they never call you back and they're, mm -hmm. you know, that's really hard to support somebody like that, you know? So they join your network, you give them all this training and you're excited, they're excited and you can't get a hold of them, you know, and it's just, you're playing this 
You find that out pretty quick, though, when you first start dealing with somebody, right? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is Bootstrappers, a radio show designed to bring entrepreneurs and leaders, thought leaders, business leaders, any leaders, um, uh, to your ears uh, for fun discussion so we can all learn a little bit more about uh, what it is that makes businesses successful. And what's that's fun about this gig that Gwen and I are doing because we can't purport to be the most successful people in the world, but we get to talk to them. <laughs> um, today we're talking with Kurt Drew. He is the uh, owner of, uh, he's a franchisor for, um, for National Raid on Defense and a franchisee of Fish Window Cleaning. Um, so I have a question. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just digging right into it because I'm just so interested in what Kurt has to say. But um, so one of the things that I think is interesting or important for listeners to understand is how you would know if a franchise has an actual operational advantage if you're not in that specific industry. So I know it just kind of makes me think of like those makeup salespeople. Um, and a lot of the time they're horror stories about those kinds of companies because no one really wants makeup. Like every, you can go to Walgreens and buy makeup for like eight bucks and it works. So there's no reason that you spend $50 on eyeshadow. And so these people buy in all these products and then they can't sell them and it, it ends up being a horror story. So I know that's not a franchise, but, um, it leads to that operational advantage question. So how do you make sure that, that, this franchise is actually the best one. Yeah, it's, I think it's that's the question, right? It's like, what are those operational advantages that I'm going to gain by being part of this network versus just doing it myself? Like, what can they do for me that I can't do on my own? And, you know, some of that is just like software. Like maybe they've, the franchisor has built a platform that I couldn't possibly uh, do on my own. It'd just be way too expensive. But because we've got, you know, 50 of these companies or 100 of these companies, we can pool our money together and build this great software that would run my company. You know, so like a CRM? A, like, a, like a CRM that's custom built. Like we have one at the window cleaning business and then we have one actually at the radon business too where you've got, you know, um, one operation that's that's knows how to, you know, typically it's the, uh, the franchisor, you know, is going to have a prototype business, right? The, with all the systems that they're, they're taking and then just duplicating in other markets, right? So you're leveraging all of the, those systems that have already been ironed out, you know, um, and then usually that's tied to a CRM, you know, it's, it's, it's tied to a phone system. A lot of these um, networks will have a centralized call center, you know, mm -hmm. so there's franchises out there where you don't need an office. You can just do this from anywhere because your office is located in Cincinnati, Ohio at the corporate office. That's where all the phones ring to and, and they're, they're, they're centralized, trained to answer the phones the right way and convert leads to appointments, you know, and then you don't even have to manage those people. You and know, then they put it into your CRM so that you just go in there and just go show up for the appointment. Yeah. Or, or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. So there's those types of, uh, systems or, you know, uh, leveraging that centralized, um, I guess production systems that we, you kind of mentioned. Yeah. Huge, huge deals. That's what you're looking for. Like, you know, I'm going to be paying these guys a royalty forever, right? I'm, I'm going to mm -hmm. sign this contract. I'm going to get into this business and they're going to take a percentage of revenue. And at the end of the day, is that worth, you know, um, what they're, what is the value there? Yes. Yeah. So like, let's say, um, you have 
uh, a complaint from uh, somebody that you worked with or a customer Mm -hmm. and they're saying the centralized phone lady wasn't very nice. Is there a way to, to air grievances at a, at a franchise is it like once a quarter they have like a grievance meeting like a festivus meeting or how does that usually yeah, right. <laughs> i think it just depends on the you know the maturity of the franchise you know mm-hmm. so when they get to a certain level they've got a lot of uh support you know layers and then you'll have your uh your uh franchise representatives so they'll break uh these franchises up in regions and maybe a franchisee would then be on the franchise council that then reports to the franchise mm. or they meet and so we call it a franchise advisory board kind of position so there's different channels to communicate to the franchise or if they're smaller and just nimble I mean, just go right to them and say hey listen here's what happened okay can you help me so do you ever find that you know you're because you're, you're starting with people that are just trying to get into owning their own business mm-hmm and, and this is maybe more of a mom and pop question because you talked about the value proposition of software and infrastructure. Like you, yeah. you can have a $500,000 infrastructure as, an, as, a, um, as a franchisor and you share it, you share. So then every mom and pop shop or every franchisee has a $500,000 infrastructure, which will right. promote their business or whatever it's designed to do. Um, but how complicated is it when you're dealing with people that haven't had a business there must be some sort of naivete at the front end. Like, like maybe expectations don't quite meet it. Do you work that out after they start? That must be hard because you can't really tell the future, but, or how do you, what do you do to get rid of that at the front end? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of thinking probably like, what are the values? I don't, I don't know enough to know what the value is, but, but then again, I would imagine there's, there's uh, you know, when you're lying in bed at night and they're, they're worrying about, you know, what if the phone doesn't ring and what if, you know, I can't hire people and what, you know, all those things you, you worry about uh, with running a business, you know, you'd hope to be able as a franchisor to, to help them with those and say, well, you know, that's come up before and it comes up all the time. And here's how we address that. And, and yes, we've thought of that before. Of course we have, because everybody's got that issue and this is how we resolved it. And this is our system for, for hiring. You know, this is our process, you know, this is our, our system for sales, you know, differentiate from the competition. Yeah, yeah so, you've seen it. You can uh, you can uh, probably uh, apply some of that wisdom to mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. Um, Gwen, we're going to come right back um, in just a little bit. Up next, what I would like to talk about after Gwen asks her question is what it looks like to sell a franchise. It must be a little bit different. There is at least one extra hurdle, which would be permission, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway, so that we're going to talk about in just a minute. So Kurt, I was just thinking um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of our audience is primarily property management company owners right. and yeah. a lot of them are looking at growing their business in another way so they might be doing some sales of houses and have the property management thing kind of working really well and they want to grow into a complementary but different business do you recommend or do you see a lot of people have multiple businesses and then go in, or, or a business or two and then go into franchising? Or yeah, actually, that's, that's what most of our uh, members in our, in our network are doing. They're doing. They've got a successful business. They understand branding and, and understand systems. And they're looking to diversify and add other business units under their umbrella. 
Mm. Now, so, hey, these niche businesses are kind of neat, right? You know, they got good margins. Um, I can maybe leverage that I've got an office already with people answering the phones. Mm. I can leverage that I've got some employees and maybe I've got the sales guy that can help me get this started, you know? And, and so you've got something there in, in place already. I've got an existing business. I know how to run a business. I've never done this business before. So maybe I could partner up with a network like a national radon defense or, you know, you pick the industry that's already got that figured out. And then I can just leverage what they've already figured out and go plug it in here in my mm. in Columbus, Ohio, or, you know, so are a lot of franchisers are a lot of franchises like that where they're just trying to offer a piece to a larger puzzle. You know, it's interesting because, you know, most franchisors would rather you just had one. Mm-hmm. Okay, right? Okay. Just focus on mine, man. Right, I don't want right. you going off and chasing ah, sports. interesting. Right? But, you know, hey, us as entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of times we're not satisfied with that. You know, we feel like, hey, we've got this thing humming. I got a general manager in place over here. I got that business going. Now I'm I, my entrepreneurial bug is getting uh, itched. That's not itching a bug, but whatever that is. Um, uh, So you're looking like, I want to build this empire. I want another brand. Let's go with this brand. Let's go with that brand. You know, I learned about this radon thing. That seems like that's a big thing. It's a growing concern. People are learning more and more about it. Maybe I want to get into that industry or, or, you know, there's so many different industries to look at. And and, in every industry, there's, there's franchises, there's dealerships, there's Mm. different things you can look at to help you just shorten that curve or maybe take out some of the risk. Where, where I can see this really fitting in is kind of in two places. Like one, let's say I've never owned a business. I'm not from a business family in any way mm-hmm. and I'm terrified, but I know that I want to try something entrepreneurial. I feel like a franchise could be join, joining into a network, getting a business coach and kind of setting yourself up for success. Another place where I see maybe a franchise helping an existing entrepreneur is if somebody is burned out or has PTSD from starting their first business and their or their spouse is like, oh, hell no, we are not going to do that again. But they're kind of bored and they, mm-hmm. they want that, that next entrepreneurial venture. Yeah. It could be a little bit safer. It could appease the other people in your life who maybe are a little bit more risk adverse. Mm-hmm. And it could be kind of like a second business after you started the first business, you know, the old cowboy way on your own, doing it your own way. So are those kind of um, two life stages that you're seeing at your franchise? Yeah, absolutely. So you have the progressives, if you will, that are just going for it, add another concept, let's do this, let's do that. And then you have the folks that are like, just, I want a different angle. I don't want to go back working for the man. You know, I've done that. I want my own thing. And I want my own destiny and I want to build some wealth here, build my own business. And, and they're searching for what fits for them, what fits for their skill set, what fits for like the kind of money they want to make. Um, you know, you have a lot of franchisees just in general that a lot of times are people that were in corporate America that got downsized. Maybe they got a package. I got severance and I'm not going back to that. You know, and well, and right now, um, we know some people who have been laid off from you know pretty sweet corporate gigs lately. Mm. And you know, let's say you're 55, you still have a bunch of years left. Yeah, but it's kind of hard to get out into that corporate 
world and get a good job. They, but they have some money to put into a franchise. I, are you getting a lot of people like that interested in? Not um, necessarily for my business for National Radon Defense because we do mm-hmm. target people that are already in residential trades and in oh, okay. most of our yeah. Mm-hmm. So we do have standalone radon companies. We have uh, companies that are already in residential trades looking at like so. For instance, uh, several of our uh, dealers, we call them, are a mold company. So do mold remediation. Mm. And they're like, oh, hey, we're an indoor quality company. Let's add radon, mm. you know. Or I'm, I'm already doing like basement waterproofing, foundation repair work. Let's add radon on. I'm already in basements, you know. Got and, it. Oh, that uh, is interesting. So that's where we're, our, our kind of niche is. But uh, in general speaking, you know, for the true several other franchises, out there, those franchisors a lot of times are are going with people that have never ran a business before, but have some money and want to want to do their own thing now. Anyway, we'll go right back into it, Kurt. I know that your time is precious, but um, so I've always had a uh, I've always been kind of confused between the difference between licensing or dealerships or a franchise or some of those the same thing. But what is it, and what are those different options out there? You know, uh, true franchising is really, there's a brand, you know, that you're getting. It's, it's, a, it's a very comprehensive business, right, where you're, you're tied to specific brand standards. You can't deviate from those standards. It's, it's uh, pretty strict, right? You know, and that you're, you're typically signing a, a franchise disclosure document. You're paying a franchise fee, and then it's a royalty-based business model. So that's like a typical franchise you'd see, the McDonald's, the Subways, the Serve Pros, the fish window cleanings of the world. And then there's different networks out there. You might notice these now that you're you're thinking about this, but there's like dealerships out there. Like um, one, I just was visiting to our local LeafGuard dealer today, a friend of mine who owns the LeafGuard dealership in Omaha. And he doesn't pay a franchise fee. He didn't sign a franchise uh, document. He just became the dealer of that line of product that goes in gutters to make sure there's no leaves get in there and get they, they get clogged and so he's basically a dealer and the way that the the franchisor makes money or the dealer home office is off this buying and selling of their uh, exclusive uh, product okay. yeah okay the dealerships are cool um and then there's you know licensing you can get a license agreement for exclusive territories that's what we do at national radon defense actually it's a it's a dealership slash license agreement uh so we protect the territory and, and then provide all the same systems as a franchise, by the way, but just not as stringent on the branding, not as stringent on um, some of the systems. Well, uh, and darn a lot of states, a lot of states have their own franchising laws, don't they? Which adds an extra, la- at least one layer of complication. How's, why is that? Why are there all these different franchising laws? That's a good question. Well, you know, yeah. obviously, you know, there's these people called lawyers, and, you know, when somebody gets wronged, you know, by misleading company that says this is guaranteed to work and, you know what, we got a business system, all it's, it's bulletproof and, and maybe they, uh, you know, these some consumers or the consumer being the, the franchisee got burned, um, you know, that's happened for over years and years, right? And so they've developed these franchise laws out there that, that make it so, uh, you know, you've got to disclose uh things to people, you know, and make sure you're disclosing all the upfront costs and um, not just selling this blue sky. So can I guess, is California 
pretty much known as the worst place in the world to do a franchise? Yeah, I would put California, Florida, and Illinois in a, in a, in a group together. Really? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because Illinois has got really stringent uh, franchise laws. Florida's crazy, uh, strict strict laws down there too. And then, then California, it's its own beast. California actually has, uh, it's difficult for a franchisor in, in California because it's easier for franchisees to get out of the agreements there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the laws are really favoring the franchisees in California um, and, and giving them more um, avenues to uh, get out of these agreements. Okay. So I have a question about the training. So let's say yeah. I own a resident, what would you call it? Residential trades company? Yeah, residential trades company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like kind of know because I have a radon system in my house, but I don't really know anything about radon. Yeah. Do I go to a class? Like, do I come to Omaha? Like, how does it work? How do you learn how to do the work? Totally. Yeah. So, well, with our program, we, we train in all aspects of, of running the company. So, uh, we bring our, our new dealers into Omaha. We train them in how to install radon systems the right way. And there are other indoor quality products we have. Uh, you know, we train in, in our sales process and our sales software that they get access to uh, being part of our network. So that's huge in, in differentiating yourself from the other radon companies out there from day one, right? And then, you know, we train in all those marketing systems, uh, get their website up and running, get their lead sources going. Um, you know, so if you look at the main aspects of the business, right, the marketing, sales, production, all those aspects where we really spend a lot of time. And then, of course, the back office things as well. So how long does that whole process take to get up and running and start, you know, the phone ringing and getting into the operation? Yeah, you know, it can be pretty quick with some companies, but I I usually say, you know, from when they sign a license agreement to when they're actually uh, getting business coming in is about a 90-day process in Mm -hmm. that there's some training they're doing up front, they're coming to Omaha, and then we're getting our marketing going and and then launching the business. Well, what better way to segue... To the end, you just talked about the beginning of the relationship. You, and during the interview on the radio, you had mentioned building wealth. It's just a way for um, the franchisee to build wealth. So what does it look like to sell uh, a franchise? You know, from a franchise or standpoint? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's a lot of, um, you know, we, one of our core values here is transparency. So it's a lot of sharing the pros, the cons, the ups and downs of this business and making sure people really understand and that they're a good fit. Because uh, at the end of the day, you know, we want people to be successful in this. So that's a lot of the sales process. Obviously, we would get a lead and we would interview them and see if they're qualified. And then, and then we actually send out a packet of information and that's followed up with a with a webinar, a Zoom meeting like this to dive into the details of the business. And through that, we're, we're learning, you know, if they're a fit, they're learning if, if we're a fit for them. Uh, and then another key part is having them go out and talk to uh, our dealers, our franchisees, in a, in a, for another word, um, and just ask whatever they want. I mean, I don't care. Ask everything. I want to make sure you're comfortable with this. So what about, what about the franchisee if they want to get out or sell it? What does that look like for them to actually, you know, selling the business? Like, actually, yeah, so they built their wealth. They're ready yeah. to move on, right? right? And they're like, hey, I've got this business, and uh, so there's a, you know, obviously a few avenues in that for uh, selling your business. You know, you could certainly look to employees to take it over and try to keep some ownership maybe in it, and you know, raise people up. You know, there's 
multi-generational businesses like we okay. all know those right. right where the son takes it over and buys it and then there's just the exits right you know where you're just like i'm going to list this with a business broker and i'm gonna or you know some other listing agency and just sell the business and and uh off into the sunset so you don't have to sell it back to the franchise uh, no back. Uh, most franchise, well, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting because some franchisors are in the business of buying back and building their corporate stores, right? You know, like the, the franchisee selling back to corporate and they'll just put a manager in place. But a lot of franchisors don't want to do that. They don't want to run these businesses. They want to do their role of supporting them and would rather just have those territories resold to other mm. people. Yeah. All right. Well, Kurt, we know you're a busy person as a franchisee and a franchise whore. <laughs> we uh, really appreciate you coming on the radio show and the podcast. Uh, really fun. Learned a whole bunch, and I'm sure that our listeners and viewers did too. So this is it for this week's edition of Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy Aspen. That's Gwen Aspen, and we look forward to seeing you next week.